Welcome to our can't remember what number episode of Date is Gonna Date. Nicola here with my lovely co-host. Hello, it's me, Roshi, and we're back, 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 back again for like the four millionth time, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, but this time it's not just us talking crap and solving all your dilemmas. We've brought an expert on, a sexpert on to help <laughs> us out in this way. So hi, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Grace. Um, I go by Grace Alice professionally. That's kind of my my business name, let's say, my work name. Um, it is my middle name. Um, and I am a relationships and sex educator. So I basically kind of do what it says in the tin. I provide education around many different topics around sexuality and relationships. And as you can imagine, like, that can vary hugely. Um, I'm not a sex therapist. That is a, a different field completely. My background is actually occupational therapy. Um, I qualified in that in 2015. And actually, it was funny when I was even studying that. And for people who aren't aware, maybe people have different understanding what occupational therapy is, but just a really quick, really quick summary. And it's really hard to sum it up. So forgive me if there's any OTs listening and are outraged, but it's kind of when we refer to occupation, we don't mean someone's job. We're talking about how you occupy your time. So all the little bits that make up your life. So you have like showering, eating, you know, your basic kind of needs. And then you have your hobbies, you have your work, just all these bits that kind of fit together and make up your life. And an occupational therapist can help you um, engage in those occupations if you're having trouble. And one occupation that I never know that I noticed was hardly ever touched on was sex. And as like, you know, an 18, 19, 20 year old, I was like, God, like this is like the elephant in the room. Like we're talking to patients and clients about kind of everything except sex and the actual act of sex so that kind of started a bit of an interest in me and then I did a master's in health promotion and ended up in sexual health promotion so um, I've been an educator now for six years and I started my own business uh, it was during the lockdown actually it was um, last July uh, in 2020 oh my god I can't believe it's 2020. <laughs> One, oh my God. Um, yeah, so in July 2020, I set up my own um, business because I want to work more with adults, work one-on-one because uh, I've been working with teenagers for years. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of me and that's where I'm at at the moment. Do people like like te- make mad assumptions about like what your job is? Like, they be like, oh, you know everything about sex, do you? Like, anything. Exactly. Your boyfriend must be so lucky. <laughs> I always get that. It's like, your boyfriend must be a lucky bastard. I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, I kind of wind people up sometimes. But, um, oh my God, I get all sorts of reactions. I actually did... Um, I did a few uh, TikToks or reels about this a few months back where I was like, all the different questions I get asked. And it's yeah. like, when I say I'm a sex educator people have very different reactions like some people just get really uncomfortable and like laugh like nervously and you're like okay um you know they project their discomfort yes. and then other people um are start unloading like their sex stuff 
kind yeah. of very quickly. And uh, this could be in a smoking area somewhere and you're like, Jesus, um, this is escalating and not the place. And then, yeah, some people can obviously be really just, you know, awful as well and creepy and yeah. and, and gross. And, oh, you can teach me something anytime. Do you know, oh. that kind of, yeah. Um, but generally, to be fair, uh, people are very interested and very supportive that I come across. They're um, they're all generally speaking, like there there's um, a great curiosity and um, yeah, kind of enthusiasm about it, and they kind of want to know a bit more because it's not something people would put on their CAO. Like you don't just say, oh, "I want to be a sex educator when <laughs> I grow up." <laughs> it just kind of yeah. you find yourself working in the field sometimes. So yeah, well. When you think about what our sex education was like in secondary school or primary school, depending on where it was, like I remember in first year, I went to a mixed school and in first year they had assembly like normal. And then they said, can all the girls stay behind and all the lads leave the room? Yeah. So all the lads, of course, were like looking in the windows and putting their ear against the door. And we had like period talk, which was basically here's some pads. And at that stage, we're all 12, 13. A lot of people had already had their periods. And then they went into like it wasn't even sex education. Like it basically was like, you can get pregnant. You can do this. <laughs> Actually, even my friends were talking about this recently. In sixth class, we had um, an educator kind of person come in to talk about sex. And basically you got to put your questions anonymously into a hat. And like, I think out of the class 30, 25 asked what was a blowjob. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. like the same question coming up again and again. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I mean, mine was the same. We had like a, a period talk. I'm putting that in quotation marks, um, which isn't a sex talk. That's not a sex talk. Like period sex is one thing. That's great, but it's not a sex talk. And um yeah, it's just a lot of people are coming from that background where they haven't had formal sex education, but they haven't had it, I suppose, great sex education informally either. Yeah. Um, you know, Ireland wouldn't be known for being yeah, certainly historically a very sex positive mm -hmm. country. And, you know, misogyny is very deep rooted here when it comes to sex. So and homophobia and whatnot. So um you know, I was even saying to a client recently, she was kind of saying, oh, you know, in my household, like no one ever told me sex is bad or, you know, like it was fine. No one was we weren't very Catholic. But when we talked about it more, I was like, yeah, but you don't actually need someone to tell you that yeah. specifically. There's so many little messages we pick up from when we're tiny, tiny, tiny mm -hmm. about our bodies and our autonomy and our consent and um you know, just from before, way before a, a young child would even ask what sex is, they're learning about it in a way. Mm -hmm. So we've all had our own unique blend of education. Yeah. And I think it is, it's that thing of like, like that girl was saying to, well, no one ever said, you know, sex was wrong, but like no one said that in my house, but also nobody talked about it. So I never felt I could ask my parents any yeah. questions about sex or anything I got sex education from a nun in my classic, classic. Yeah. I mean, come on. And at that stage, I think I was, we'd had in primary school, we'd had the boys and girls be separated and they had the body. We had the body chat separately, mm. but sex chat. So we, a lot of girls were like 14 or 15 and we'd already heard or seen or chatted to our friend or our big sisters or like overheard somebody chatting about sex. And that's literally how I got my 
sex education <laughs> for commas. And like I said, it's it's not that anyone told me sex was bad, but because nobody wanted to talk about it, it felt like it was a it was a bad subject. It was to, taboo. So like of course. <laughs> yeah and like that can manifest then in, in so many different ways like like people can say oh I have this sexual dysfunction issue or I'm having this problem but like nothing's ever happened to me and you know this kind of language and you know like they're trying to find a pinpoint a reason and it can be really hard to do that because like that it's more a huge collection of messages and of moments that that kind of build up and then can come out in different ways and can impact our bodies on different ways um, and how we view sex. Um, so yeah, it's really quite complex when you think about it. Um, and one thing as well that I talk a lot about is the way we talk about sex, thank God it is changing. It's great. We are learning more about the body and especially like um, the bodies of women and anyone with a vulva, like, you know, we're only learning the full extent of the clitoris now in a mainstream way, you know, yeah. like, even though it's been known about for quite a while, but like, I, you probably didn't see it in a biology book. I certainly didn't. Oh. I still don't know, is it in a biology book, to be honest? Um, but it's great. We're learning more about anatomy and the kind of like the facts, you know, stuff about our bodies and how they work. But from how we talk about sex to teenagers to adults, there's this common theme of kind of this focus on, you know, positions and orgasms and yes, body parts. And, um, you know, you know, if you look on magazines, I know, I don't know, do people really well, people do buy them, I'm sure. But, you know, it's kind of all online now and it's mm. 10 things to try. But we're not talking about the much deeper level stuff of being connected to your body, learning um, about strengthening your intuition of what you like, of what you don't like, um, unlearning harmful messages. Like that's the real stuff you need to learn before all the positions and the toys and all that great jazz. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It kind of, I've just noticed that from how people are talking about sex um, across the board. Yeah. Um, I think with women in particular, we just are given a very different message or our generation, I think, was given a very different message about sex compared to lads. Yeah. Um, and I think like for me, I was what I would call like a very, very late bloomer in terms of my own sex life. I was a lot older. Um, and but I remember like, you know, being a teenager in my 20s and shifting guys and they wanted to do stuff. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know. Aren't they supposed to like I was more focused on what they were supposed to get, the enjoyment they were supposed to have as yeah, opposed yeah. to what I was supposed to enjoy and maybe what my lines were and what I didn't want to do or what I was comfortable with. I always yeah. felt like a pressure, like I had to perform for the other person as opposed oh, to yeah. myself. Absolutely. And like uh, women particularly would have often said that they they were kind of brought up to believe, again, whether from direct messages and indirect messages, that sex is something that is done to them, um, not with them. And that's, you can see that in so many ways across how we talk about sex. Um, and it's so confusing and I, I want to really really clarify that especially because like you know you probably don't have a lot of teenage listeners and maybe you do but you probably don't like this isn't just teenagers that are confused about this stuff this is 
women, this is people of all genders of all ages. Um, and, you know, you're brought up in a society where sex is everywhere. Like sex sells, sex is like women's bodies are used to promote everything from like mm-hmm. crisps to cars to you name it. Like there, there's been a, a bikini clad woman used to sell it. So you're, you're, you're seeing all this. But then at the same time, there is a load of shame around actually owning your sexuality or, um, you know, uh, being promiscuous. And I'm using that in, again, quotation marks, um, because you would never use that word for a man. I've never heard it ever used for a man. Uh, So it can be really, really difficult to, uh, what's the word, navigate those conflicting messages um, for all ages, not just for young people. Yeah. No, like I know that you, in like my age, you could decide, let's say I say, oh, look, I met this guy online or in person and I'm going to have a fling with him. But I know myself, I won't do that because throughout my life, it's built up, built up that that's just not what girls do. Guys do it. Guys can do it with 20 girls. Girls just don't do it. And like it's the same with the one night stand, which is something we've talked about before here on the podcast, is that the guilt of a one night stand for a girl you like you brush it off. You say, oh, I don't care. It's just, yeah, it's fine. And then somebody says, did he text you or did you give him your number? And suddenly it's like, well, I'm meant to be in a relationship with this person. And yeah. everybody is sending you all those messages that yeah. if you've slept with them, well, then obviously this is meant to go somewhere. Yeah. And that's it's frustrating because um, like when you when you think of sex positivity, and it's a buzzword that's getting thrown around a lot, I find. Um, I don't know, have you heard it? But it's kind of like, you know, with the wellness industry, people latch onto a word like self-care and they kind of dilute it and gentrify it so much that it no longer actually means what it was intended to mean. And I find that a little bit with sex positivity and with sex positivity, the whole point is that you don't attach morality to sex like it's it's you're looking at it much more objectively and with an open mind. So with, say, for example, the one night stand, the assumption that like you would be waiting on a text or, you know, even the walk of shame and this language we use is so actually tied up in in shame and um, morality, like expectations. And um, it's kind of, again, it's frustrating because it's, I feel like, there is kind of a movement around sex positivity where people think that if you just talk about sex and have sex all the time, you're sex positive. Like that's not it. You don't have to have sex at all and you can be sex positive. Um, It's just about basically, it's like you respect other people's autonomy, their bodies and what they choose to do. And I think among women, particularly we have been, and gay men as well. Now, I'm not I can't really speak as much, obviously, to a gay man's experience, but um, just from talk to my friends and that. But from a woman's experience, um, I think we've been conditioned to, yeah, kind of project that shame onto each other. We need to change that. Basically, we just really need to change that. Yeah, there's kind of an an internalized misogyny. I 100%. find women sometimes myself included yeah. and to try unlearn those habits bad habits bad like even words or terminology that you use you have to kind of correct yourself like you know what I mean and 
I do think it's interesting what you're saying. I think it's similar to the body positivity movement. Sometimes it's, it's getting so diluted yeah. by the idea of like, oh, if we post this one little thing, it just changes everything. But it's an internalized subject that you have to work on yourself to stop yourself from, from doing this. And it's a very difficult thing. I think it does come with maturity. I kind of wish at a younger age that I we've been spoken to more clearly about sex because I think then as you got older you would have hopefully brought a better message with you you know into your later life exactly. I think the young people today are so lucky in a sense because consent let's say is one big hot topic that they are learning about that we never yeah never consent was never taught to us it's yep. something that you kind of taught I don't know about everybody I can't speak for everybody but myself that if you're in a certain situation that you know maybe you should just go through with it because you you kind of dress that way or you acted that way or whatever like that. But then I would feel guilty afterwards because I'm like, did I lead that person on that they mm. should have had, you know, mm. whatever they wanted? And are they going to think badly of me because I didn't give it to them? Whereas consent now we see it's in colleges, it's in schools. All my younger sisters know about it. They know the rules. They know what to say in certain circumstances that we never had. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and we, we need it even more than what's being done now. Like the consent work being done in schools, and I've done a lot of it myself, is brilliant. But like, again, it, it's, it's going deeper. It's starting with when they are babies, when they are toddlers, not talking about sex, but talking about, about consent because there's so many different aspects. And it's not just consent as well, because do you know the way consent can sound like a really like legal, scary mm-hmm. term? Yeah. But, you know, learning about autonomy and respect and people's boundaries. And like, that's what I'd love to see that cycle being broken yeah. where we're actually explicitly talking about this stuff. There was a video that went viral. So much content, isn't there? But like it, it just popped up one day and um, it was a video of a little boy and girl. I mean, they were only like five let's say and she and he said uh will you marry me (laughs) and she said no and he was like why not and she goes sorry I just don't want to and he was like you're so mean like you know and like true things and stormed up look it's fine like I'm not I'm not saying there's Mm -hmm. anything wrong with that child but it was just the argument of those behaviors start so young Mm. Coping with rejection is something we're not talking to young people enough about. You know, we're given medals for taking part in everything, you Mm. know, like, and I'm not a parenting expert at all and I'm not a parent, but it's just those really hard lessons do need to be kind of learned at that age because a lot of the issues with consent sometimes is people can't cope with rejection. They feel very Entitled. entitled. Yeah. And it's funny you were saying about, you know, even one night stands there because, you know, the whole thing about um, I hate this term, but body count. It's so creepy when people yeah. ask you what your body like. That's like a crime. Isn't that a crime scene? Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's that terminology, right? It's like, oh, sex and death. Let's, yeah. let's use the same the body term. count of murders. And also I how know. many people have slept with. <laughs> I know. But, you know, the way. um Women are asked, I mean, anyone could be asked, but um, there can be a lot of, again, morality attached to your this number, your body count. Yes. And an, an important point to remember is, even for me personally, my body count is higher than maybe it would have been if I'd had this education because my there were some many situations where I was actually too afraid to say no 
because I had seen it go ugly and I had seen how the worst case scenario it can be that some people cannot cope with this. No. And um, that's something people don't think of. You know, they don't actually realize that there can be a lot more. There's loads more to a stupid number that no one is entitled to anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if someone has slept with thousands of people consensually, that's great. But it's just important to even keep that in mind that like, you know, there's so much more under the surface when we talk about stuff like this, when we talk about like one night stands and consent and all that. Yeah, um, I think that goes for both ways, though. If your number's too low, you're yes. judged for your number being too low. And if your number's yeah. too high, it's your height too, well, in people's minds too high. But as you said about you were in circumstances where you felt like you couldn't say no, or li- like what I'd said about you, you'd led to a certain point and then you're like, should I, like, I remember being called, so many times by like even people I was friends say, oh, you're such a prick tease because I would date, I would score a guy or whatever and we might go somewhere for drinks afterwards. And because I wasn't sleeping with him, I was a prick tease. But oh I'm like, God. why is that? Why am I a prick tease? I at no point did I shake his hand and say, tonight we're going to have sex. Exactly. I would have said the complete opposite. I'd be like, if we're going back to your house, just so you know, we're not. I'm not going to say to you. <laughs> yeah. And like, can you be any clearer? And, but it's that kind of view of, you know, women as if we're like sex machines and you just put, Mm. you know, you just put attention into us and then sex will fall out. Like, you know, it's just like you're (laughs) not entitled to, you know, have sex with me just because we're dating or even, you know, whatever is going on. Oh, it's so infuriating. And I hate those words, cocktees and pricktees and even blue balls. It's it's all just such bullshit. And it's Mm -hmm. it's just complete. um, And again, sometimes people saying this stuff, they mightn't actually understand how kind of dark it is, you know, how kind of problematic. But like it just it just it's coercive. Like it's 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 um it's just yeah, awful. Like, it's horrible. They're joking. It's all this in, inner monologue that we've we've been speaking about. And like, I just find it funny that if a girl is comfortable with her sexuality and comfortable with her body, we're probably calling her a slag anyway. That's what's, you know, someone's going to say that about her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's so frustrating. And it's almost like you cannot win. Like, you know, you, you can't be too frigid and a prick tease and too good, but you can't be, you know, oh, too powerful and too sexual and too confident. Um, and it's all to me and my understanding of it, it's all just an attempt to keep women small, you know, to just just keep us smaller because the idea of us being um, a bigger version of ourselves is terrifying to a lot of people because I mean what would we do (laughs) imagine if we if we were in charge of the whole world what would we do who knows who knows girls because it's never happened in the whole history of the earth so who knows um I think it just terrifies people I really do I think it's based off fear and shame but you know again talking about this stuff breaking the cycle that's what's gonna hopefully change it you know yeah and I know I know we have male listeners here and I I Mm. do also feel for some of them because they have to live up to the big lad you didn't sleep there what's wrong with you oh absolutely are you gay are you this that and the other so like in one sense they're getting a different kind of messaging that maybe that that's coming from their own peers saying you haven't slept with someone by the time you're whatever age what's wrong with you you're a virgin, you're gay, you're this, that. And that's what they're getting. So they're getting that messaging coming at them. Absolutely. And that's like, that's terrifying. No wonder they're, they're lashing out or trying it on a bit too much 
too hard because that's also really bad messaging coming to them. Yeah, I mean, like young men and are under enormous pressure. And like, you know, even when we talk about sexual performance, um, you know, like impossible standards you know when you when you look at porn and stuff and that is how a lot of people do learn about sex because we're not again if, if in the absence of better sex education that's where you're going to kind of go yeah. um and yeah and it and it's awful because like m- like s- there's this myth around libido and um sex drives even though we try not to use the term sex drives anymore but libido being the proper term that um, differs hugely among men. The idea that men always want sex, it's so destructive. It's so its so harmful to them. And actually, an interesting point is that with the um, sex kind of positivity movement or whatnot, you get all this, oh, these kind of annoying symptoms of it and harmful symptoms where women feel that they have been oppressed or objectified which is probably true like I'm not denying Mm -hmm. that but they lash out then back in quite an aggressive way where they're making fun of men for penis size like this is so it really bothers me when Mm. like and there's loads of pages on Instagram that are like huge pages um like girly pages do you know those kind of pages yeah Yeah. Yeah. and they've Mm -hmm. all sassy kind of girly content and some of it's cool like whatever but then every few weeks you'll have this like really degrading joke about like I saw one and it was like uh if you're oh what was it if your dick is uh shorter than your balls when you're soft don't raise your voice at me and I was like what the fuck sorry I don't mind yeah. I curse on this no, curse. I, was like, curse. <laughs> I was like and like Gwyneth Paltrow was commenting on stuff of course but like you know it like as in being like oh this is great but I'm like, that's not though. That that's the exact kind of attitude that has hurt us and harmed us in so yeah. many ways and still does. And like I my heart breaks for any young boy, because God love them, they are obsessed with their penis size and no wonder. <laughs> um, and they're, you know, really huge hang-ups about it. So yeah, it it, you know, it's oh, it's just so complex and it's um I hate to see that. I hate to see the movement being used in that way because that's not sex positive at all. That's no, not. No, no. The whole know, that's not empowering. That's no, not empowering to anyone. The whole idea is to empower each yeah. person with their yeah. own sex positivity. And if we tear other people down, similar to body positivity, then we're not we're not doing it right, if you want no. to put it that way. Um, I do think for lads in particular as well, like in not even just porn, but even if you watch TV and movies, and it's getting a bit better now, but often when you watch shows, even from five years ago or movies from five years ago, the guy has to convince the girl to go on a date. He has to convince her to like kiss him. Like there's there's this idea that when a girl says no, it's not actually really no. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's It's a a challenge. challenge. You've got to turn around. That's really negative um, you know, imagery to send into both male and female minds. Yeah. Uh, to to because then that idea of consent is really difficult because you've been told something else through media that oh yeah you no know, they don't really mean no it's not really what they mean I just think it's such a it can be a minefield for for people now absolutely and like 
men probably feeling this need then to be that kind of dominant pursuer and you know they shouldn't have to feel like that and women shouldn't have to feel like they have to be the kind of submissive you know object of desire that's being chased after because like these are just complete rules written up by society they don't actually mean anything like you know we've just decided somewhere along the way that this is what we attribute to being male or female and I know I'm being very gendered here so I apologize for that but um you know I remember once a young girl said to me she was like well the egg doesn't chase the sperm miss and I was like that's funny because there's actually new research that's come out that says actually the egg has a lot more choice over what sperm it chooses than we originally thought um like genuinely like in a real (laughs) scientific level it's actually not that simple the sperm don't actually chase the egg around but you know like that's what you're dealing like stuff that is um so deep rooted you know um and I, I think that can be very difficult for men and women to kind of especially like because I get men messaging me a lot being like that they are um that they are submissive so like not even in a BDSM sense necessarily but like you know that they like their wives do this and that to them and is it normal and I'm always like just don't worry about is it normal like try and get that phrase out of our heads if it's consensual and you enjoy it it's grand like you know um so it plays into what happens in the bedroom a hundred percent yeah that involves people talking to each other and just saying "Are, are you getting this the same thing that I'm getting from this or I want to do this how do you feel about that instead of just springing it on them like Hey, yeah. I'm going to try and choke you or whatever. Oh you my know. God. Talk yeah. about it before yeah. you do it. Don't just go and in the go moment and try for it. And that's horrific. And like, I did see research recently about um, a very high number of young girls are being non-consensually choked during their first sexual encounter. And like, that gives me the chills. And like, I'm, I'm so very little shocks me anymore from being in the in this role but sometimes I'll read something like that and I'll be like oh my god <laughs> you know like oh god we really need to start talking about this stuff um and that's yeah as you said communication just that's such a porn thing that's oh yeah thing important. yeah like, I even notice it like I'm not seeing it on this season but in Love Island I've seen before when the men go to kiss the girls they they bring them in kind of like by the face or throat sometimes and I've been watching it and I'm like Oh my God, like mm. this is, they've obviously seen that move like in porn and like translated to life. I just find it very uncomfortable like that, that you would do that. Yeah. If a man like, did that to me, I would break his hand. <laughs> I would like, get <laughs> I know, like it, it really is down to the communication side, like that, like there's, there's women, there's men, there's people that are into everything under the sun. And actually, aggression during sex you know it, it's not uncommon there are an awful lot of people into mm. it and to certain degrees but it's just yeah. like not to assume that that's what yeah this person would be into and that's just where that's it's all in the assumption that worries me and that kind of that's where the issue really is um and yeah it's it's just like actually one one thing that your listeners might be interested in looking into at some point um it's called the wheel of consent it's by Dr. Betty Martin. Um, and basically it's it's kind of a model um, of consent, but it's really interesting. I had to do a few days training in it, but it just shows that 
we slip into different roles all the time during sex. There's now, unless again, it's maybe in a very focused BDSM scene where we have negotiated, I'm dominant, you're submissive. This is what we're going to do, whatever. But generally speaking, we all slip into submissive and dominant and giving and taking roles all the time. And it's just really interesting to learn about that because you might find that you have limited yourself maybe to one 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 part of that, like maybe say being submissive because you thought that's what women and girls should be. And you've never kind of stepped outside that. And it's, it can just be interesting to kind of explore how this has played out in your life and sex life, if that makes sense. Because yeah. um, there's an awful lot of assumptions and shoulds we bring into the bedroom. And like amazing sex can happen when you take those out, when you challenge them, just start yeah. talking about them, thinking yeah. about them. Yeah. I think um, definitely it comes down to that, like being able to talk about it as well as that, that letting that kind of repression go. I mean, I think if you're with somebody and you and you trust them and you love them, like you should be able to have these chats. It shouldn't be such a taboo. I do know um, I would know people who would struggle with like orgasming them mm-hmm. and like they find it difficult to talk about that with their their partner because like they feel you know, like they're wrong or they're built wrong or something, you know. Or like, that the, the guy is going to go or the girl, whichever it is, is going to go, well, this is a challenge. I'll make you orgasm by the yeah. end. And they're like, you're like, it's not that. Like I, this, yeah. yeah. It's not just because the way you're doing it. It's, there's obviously something else behind that. Yeah. And even that language of I'll make you orgasm, I'll give you an mm-hmm. orgasm. Like that's actually not how it works really. Like, you know, you... I feel like, you know, an orgasm is something that's kind of created together. Because say even if, say even if um, a couple were, um, they're masturbating, they're watching each other masturbate, um, mutual masturbation. And um, so say, say the woman is touching herself and she has an orgasm. She's probably having an orgasm because of, yes, the physical side. She is the one touching herself. She's the one giving herself in quotation marks an orgasm, but she might be, from watching him you know that it's it's an interaction it's not just physically what's being done to you um and I'm not surprised loads of women have issues orgasming at all because I mean there's so many factors to it there's a lack of education the lack of knowledge about bodies the shame around just sex in general and and female sexuality um the the need to perform uh there's so many women faking orgasms because yeah there's people getting offended if they don't orgasm and again that can compound the problem even further um and orgasming in its essence requires you to let go you know um you know if you think of all the language around an orgasm like uh i can't do a french accent but isn't it le petit mort mort is it the the little death Oh, yes. Um, yeah. You know, when you think about it, it's, it's a complete surrender. And there's a really famous educator, a sex educator. I'd recommend following her. Her name's Ruby Rare. It's a really cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that she had her first orgasm. I think it was her first orgasm with a partner. Coincidentally, when she had decided she didn't want to get rid of her pubic hair anymore. It was a decision she made that she just didn't want to get rid of it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. She liked it or she wanted to keep it. And it was, it, it's just funny that those two events coincided because there was something that clicked there 
of freedom and ownership in your body. Yeah. And this is not something we're taught to have really. So I can see why people struggle, basically, you know. It's, yeah, um, you seem, and especially because men feel like they're in a race to, to orgasm and then yes. it's like, well, they're done. That's yeah. it. I know. And like, again, it's down to communication, isn't it? It's maybe having that chat of, look, I'd appreciate if like maybe I orgasm first or, you know, maybe maybe tonight neither of us will orgasm. We're actually going to like just really like do some edging or like teasing and, you know, just being really creative and like, you know, sex doesn't have to end with an orgasm. It doesn't need to include an orgasm at all. But I suppose I am conscious as well that like there is an orgasm gap um, and, you know, heterosexual women are orgasming less than anyone, uh, even though we again studies will show this that like i think it's only seven percent of women orgasmed during a um one night stand with a man yeah. but it was something like 80 something of them orgasmed when they masturbate on their own yeah. and there's all these statistics you're like yeah there's something going on here like there's a lot going on here yeah. you know that yeah. needs to be addressed it really does it's not all about orgasm but i think it can be a bit symbolic of how women's bodies are viewed and maybe not the pleasure isn't prioritized or yeah. expected yeah yeah the mental side of it definitely has to have a role to play in it and yeah it's kind of like you watch sex of the city and you're like I should be Samantha but I'm you know <laughs> yeah I'm not I'm Charlotte or whatever you know what I mean I know and it's like sure look I I grew up with it I grew up with like I, I was quite old before I realized that um, most women don't orgasm from penetration alone. And I was like, oh, you know, um, like I knew like it like that it rarely happened for me, but I was shocked to realize that that was actually the norm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, like even the books I read, I remember because I was a big reader. Yeah. I remember reading books. I remember I started reading erotica online um, probably before I even watched porn. I don't know how I come across it. It was like back in like Windows 98 <laughs> or whatever. But um, I love Mills it. and Boone. <laughs> I know. Um, and I read erotica and like I um, and then I did eventually start watching porn. And then you have your your just your film. Your t- There's so much to it. And all of that was telling me that like you'd have like these amazing orgasms from just having a penis inside you. And like it was mind-blowing to realize that that's actually often not the case I mean it really was and there's people today that still come to me that don't know that so you can never assume and that's really important as well for me as a sex educator I'm in I'm in quite a sex positive bubble I talk about this every day I read about it whatever um but you know it's to to, I don't know what do you want to say a lay person or your person who's not Mm -hmm. in this field don't assume they know stuff that they don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think as well, there's the, the element of like, like, if, and I do think it's getting better now, but like if you're a female and you masturbate, it's like, oh, like there was kind of, I remember being a teenager and telling somebody that I'd done it and I was completely mocked and like embarrassed and shamed for like doing it. And yeah. um, like, and I, and I think I carried a bit of that with me kind of like then 
like I was embarrassed that I that I'd done it to myself, even though that 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 shouldn't be the case at all. I think some women are still afraid of maybe exploring that part of themselves. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's such a pity because masturbation is such an amazing way to to connect with your body and to learn what you like and um to then translate that into partnered sex. Um, but and, and it's fascinating because loads of girls masturbate before they realize it is masturbating. Do you know that it is it is actually sexual or it's or not even sexual, but it's it's normal and it's pleasurable. Um I'm sure you've heard of Florence Given. Um, if you haven't, she's a kind of, um, uh, I don't know how you'd sum her up, like a feminist kind of artist and influencer. And she wrote a book as well. But she put out kind of this question on her Instagram being asking people with vulvas um, how, now that looking back, what things they did, did they do that was actually masturbating? And the amount of responses, like, because I, I remember, like, I had this kind of chair and I used to just kind of like, you know, gyrate a bit on it and it felt amazing. But like I was a child. I didn't know what I was doing. It just actually <laughs> felt good. And that was one of the things that came up. It was kind of like basically humping stuff, teddies, yeah. pillows, shower faucets, game controllers, sliding down banisters. I mean, there was an endless list and it just warmed my heart because I was like, Again, if I had known that, like I was mortified that like that, that, that I was doing something that felt that I didn't see other people doing in, in public, obviously. Yeah. And I remember I found a diary of mine years later. It was so funny. It was like my New Year's resolutions. And I was like, I'm going to stop doing the chair thing. And like, <laughs> I was a child. I like I was, you know, at whatever age is like, I'm going to stop masturbating. But I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, so you know, it can take a long time for people to unlearn that, for women especially, yeah. to unlearn that yeah. shame. And as well, just on that point, because I think it's really important to unlearn shame around your fantasies. This is something that comes up an awful lot. Um, when you think about fantasies, what men should be fantasizing about versus what women, like, again, media portrayals are pro like kind of unrealistic a lot of the time. They can be very, like... Um, what's the word? Oh, what's the word? Kind of like, um, I don't mean vanilla in a bad way, but like as if, say as if women just, all we fantasize is having sex with a handsome man. Like that's it. Like, no, you know, you can fantasize about aliens, about having sex <laughs> in church. Like what, you know, yeah. like stuff that like you would never probably actually do in real life. Yeah. Um, mm. That comes up a lot, actually, women having fantasies about kind of, you know, someone breaking into your house and you end up like having sex. And like, in reality, that would be horrific if someone broke into yeah. your house. Yeah. But, you know, in your fantasy, you're in control and it's a way of actually reclaiming control around kind of narratives like that. So just if anyone's listening and if you have a fantasy that you are ashamed of, lean into it, like lean into that fantasy. Just what would happen if you gave yourself permission to just think about that stuff? It's just yeah. in your head. No one else has to know about it if you don't want, you know. Um, yeah. I think there's a huge blockage there about what people fantasize about and feeling shame around that. I do think there's a lot more um, 
maybe it's just because we're in our 30s um we're starting to speak a bit more like I'm very uh prudish when it comes to talking about stuff like this Roshi <laughs> <That's will know. laughs> I this is it's I'm a very private person says the woman with a podcast but I'm very private <laughs> I, I don't talk about you know any of this stuff unless I have a problem and then I can go to somebody and I'll, I'll talk about it or you know or something hilariously funny happens then I'll talk about that or whatever but like my friends all around me like Raul included they all talk about everything you know from you know one night stands to masturbation to stuff like that and I'm you know they're always laughing going oh Nicola's gonna run out of the room here (laughs) but like it's good that people are able to speak like that like it's for me personally I just that's not my I'm more comfortable keeping my own things to myself but I do think that it's great that people can speak like that if that's that they can have if they have a problem or if they are doing something they're like did you try this or whatever it might be for me, but it's it's great that it's not this shameful secret for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's again, that's the essence of sex positivity is that like you don't have to share a thing about you or you don't have to be into X, Y or Z. Um, it's just that you don't judge other people. And it's um, that whole thing of like, don't yuck someone else's yum. Like it's really annoying when people do that. It's actually it can be harmful and not just annoying. Do you know when you're like. I know I've done this sometimes, by the way, if any of my friends are listening. But, you know, if you're out for a meal and you order something and someone else doesn't like it, they're like, oh, God, that's gross. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? And you're kind of like, could you just let me enjoy it? Obviously, I like yeah. it. You know, um, I know I've done that, by the way. My friend would be listening because he once offered me ketchup on toast when we were students. And I've never let him um, I've never let him live <laughs> it down since. So I have definitely food shamed. But on a serious note, yeah, it's just like, um you don't have to talk about it yourself, but for the, you know, I always find that anyone kind of scoffing at other people or saying, oh God, she's a bit much, isn't she? Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just their own shame. They're just, they're just projecting. And like for anyone listening, please remember that whether it's your, your auntie, your, your best friend, your partner, whoever it is, like it's, I'd say 99% of the time it is someone else's issues and you speaking openly or confidently or maybe not even confidently, but, you know, speaking about something like that, it might unsettle something inside them, but that's their job to deal with that. And, you know, we really should work on not projecting that discomfort onto other people. I still do it. And I'm, consider myself very sex positive and a sex educator but I still find myself at times projecting shame that I've internalized or misogyny or whatnot um so it's a lifelong process do you know it is it is yeah I do think um it's it's changing your inner monologue and going like I definitely would say I was a lot more judgmental five years ago just not even not even in terms of like this conversation about everything in life and you know that skirt is too short or whatever blah, blah, blah. um but then I would be so that was more me being conscious of myself and then being like I can't wear that because I've got this wrong with my legs or whatever like that you know what I mean and I do think it's definitely turning that tide of kind of your first thought that comes into your head you don't go with that one you wait and think actually how does it like your second thought is actually probably what you really think you know you when exactly. you sit and think about it yeah like that first thought is probably what you've been conditioned to think and then the second mm-hmm. thought is actually what you think or you know what you're working on or addressing Mm -hmm. that thought um oh I'm the same like I was I was 
a little ball of insecurities when I was a teenager and in my early 20s like yeah. and I've talked about this publicly like I had vaginismus yeah. um which was really distressing and painful and and lonely and all those things and like I definitely um slut shamed and body shamed women I mean not necessarily in you know to their face or anything but I would make mm. comments in yeah. in kind of that casual harmful way and um I had to eventually kind of reflect and be like, yeah, that was all me. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. all gray stuff. Um, yeah. I was probably jealous of them being able to sleep with everyone because I wanted to, but I couldn't have penetrative sex for a good while. Um, I was threatened, you know, the, you know, all these things that I just, I didn't have the language or the, I don't know, the wherewithal to sit down and identify those things. Um, yeah. But yeah, so just try and remember that for anyone that is like listening that people's reactions are a reflection on themselves and not on you, you know? Yeah. I like the idea that we're, we're kind of always in progress. People are always in progress. Oh, yeah. Get better themselves. We can't be like the perfect person, like all the time. We're always trying to evolve and, and do better and say better. Um, and it is hard. It is a thing that comes with maturity, whether you mature. Some people yeah. mature very early in their life, like in their 20s, etc. I found I grew up a lot, like when me and Nicka, we, we, we moved abroad, but I'd never lived away from home. I'd yeah. never taken care of myself in that way ever before. And I found that a real growing experience. But to some people they'd be like oh my god you're 26 27 you're still acting like whatever but I think yeah. you know you've got to give time and space for people to learn and 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 be better and and do better um and I think like obviously I think podcasts like this and your education and you're talking to other people and I see that you did an article talking about uh, your vaginisms and I think all that is is going to help us just get more open more positive and it like there's long term for for us to do better like yeah no absolutely and and you're so right we're all works in progress and that's the beauty of it like you know it's um it's just learning from our mistakes and other people's mistakes and also even something to note is like even loving even accepting your body or loving your body whichever um having good sex that's all lifelong too like you will change as a sexual being throughout your life Uh, your desires will change your needs will change how you feel about different parts of your body might change different gender like you might be attracted to different people at different points and I think sometimes I have found this myself as and like I know people rolling their eyes I've been like she's she's only fucking 29 but like as a woman we are conditioned to be like you know I only have what another, you know, maybe, I don't know what they say, like maybe 10 good years in me now until like, well, then I'm kind of, oh, maybe I'll be a mom and I'll be whatever, you know, that kind of, that kind of language. Mm -hmm. And we see women disappearing off TV once they hit a certain age and the whole lot. But that's um that feeds into kind of the narrative as well I find is like oh these are your good sex years you know this is when you need to have all the wild sex and one night stands and like enjoy your body it's never going to look better you know these are your good boob Mm -hmm. years and all this I'm like shut up like forget all this good boob years good sex years like a lot of people actually find they have the best sex of their lives when they are older because they are way more connected to themselves and what they want and way more assertive, open-minded, all that. So you do have the rest of your life to be a sexual being. Like, don't, you know, don't try and force yourself into 
something you don't want to do or you don't want Mm -hmm. to explore yet or whatever it is. Um, It is a lifelong thing. We don't expire at a certain age. Uh, Like you see people on first dates and they're like literally 100 years old going on first dates. Literally, I saw someone that was 100 years old on it. So I was like, come on, like I'm here at 29 then being like, oh, these are my good boob years. You know, it's just ridiculous. Like it's not that I'm ridiculous. It's the conditioning again. But like, please do it for yourself. Do it for your if you have daughters, if you have me or well, anyway, any, any, if you've any young people in your life, be, be that person that like that kind of role model to them that you'll be able to break that cycle of just limiting ourselves so much, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I know we've talked a lot about sex here. You also do relationship. uh, You're also talk about relationships in your job and stuff. Have you found, is there like a common worry or a common thread that people come to you with like relationship wise? Um, like there's a few things, um, people would be very concerned about never having had a relationship, um, or freaking out is the words people tend to use. Like, you know, maybe when it's like crunch time, when it's like a month or two months in, and then they just freak out and, and, and leave, um, people also, again, just communication and relationships would be a big thing because I don't know, I find that people want to talk more to me um, about sex and that's where the education comes in Mm -hmm. because I feel the relationship territory can, is more therapy. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of the boundaries of the professions have to be very clear. So I think a lot of the time when people are talking about their relationships, it is in relation to sex um, and not having sex. Um, And, um, being in a relationship and having desire discrepancies so that that basically one person wants more sex than the other or else at different times yeah. basically you're ending up not having a kind of mm. fulfilling sexual yeah. relationship that comes up loads and loads and loads and loads it's really really common like really common but there's such shame around it there yeah. really is like people who are in relationships that aren't having as much sex as they think they should are like they just feel they tend to feel so ashamed of it, yeah. you know, um, and think that their relationship must be a failure because, you know, it shouldn't be like this. And all again, the shoulds and shouldn'ts come out. Yeah, it's yeah. probably like you feel that you're not pretty or you're not attractive or yeah. whatever. Like I remember someone I was with telling me asking, oh, how, how many times is the most you've done it in a day or something like that? And I just was like, I'm not answering that question. Yeah. Like that's again, I told you that's not my style but he said oh six times with this person and I was like you're automatically making me feel bad about myself yeah. because I'm yeah. not going to go and have sex with you six times today you know yeah. I was like why why would you say something like that I know it's kind of these like yeah the kind of weird pressures that we can push each other under like what's the kinkiest thing you've ever done and like again that's going to be completely subjective to the person and the couple and like I think that's as well what like what's a really common theme and I know it's very broad but people thinking that their relationship should look like this they should be doing this they should oh by now this should be sorted and it's all just shoulds 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 all the time and it's really kind of learning to not compare yourself to other relationships or to past relationships either now I know there can be there can be like um 
obviously it's really good to know like red flags and and boundaries mm-hmm. and all that. I'm not saying in that sense, like, you know, sometimes it can be helpful to compare being like, oh, well, that was a happy relationship and they weren't, you know, really jealous or whatever it was. But like when it comes to sex, I saw a, a post recently on Instagram and it said, uh, I just want to he- I just want a healthy relationship with the sex of a toxic relationship. And I was like, that's actually so common again, because we can sometimes think back to unhealthy relationships, but the sex was great. And why was it great? Because it was so emotionally charged all the time because you were always fighting and there was fear and there was, there was jealousy and there was, and like, again, on paper, this reads as a great novel, but in Mm. real life, it's not sustainable and it can be really harmful. So it's trying to, again, talk just about maybe people's expectations of relate, like what do they think a healthy relationship looks like? Yeah. And it's, it can be very, very different between people, of course. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about, you, know, you kind of mentioned there about people in re- generally, if people come for relationship advice, it is about sex and all that. And I know myself that sometimes I've been with people who the, the guy hasn't been able to perform and mm-hmm. then that creating an anxiety within myself that it's yeah. something to do with me. Um, you know, that I think I, we all feel like that. If that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, it's not his fault. It's mine. <laughs> it's mine. Yeah. And I suppose like, like what kind of things can we do to, you know, I suppose make sure that we don't hate on ourselves because that's not happening, but also to like, I, don't, I suppose like help with our partner as well mm-hmm. to kind of like, you know, I'm sure they they feel bad as well and that they, they can't perform. So like, how do you broach that or how can we like do better in those scenarios to ourselves and to our partner? Yeah, well, again, I think it's probably just like, again, looking at what you're internalizing and why maybe you're doing that. Um, And I totally get that women can go through that and men as well. Like they're both, neither side is a nice side to be on when that come, you know, when that happens. But again, you know, a reminder that you are a team, that you're keeping it solution focused. So, um, you know, obviously talking about it and this sounds so you know when I say obviously I don't mean that in a condescending way because it can be really hard to talk about you Mm -hmm. know it the people we're actually being intimate with can be the hardest people to talk about um sex with ironically but talking about it but like truly listening and believing each other so if he says it's not because of you believe him Mm -hmm. you know like just and I know that sounds easier said than done but it's kind of like why why aren't you believing him? Okay, that's probably some insecurity of your own. You've probably picked that up somewhere. Just kind of teasing out and even talking about that between you, just letting him know that that's where you're coming from. And um, like, I mean, it, I think that would be generally, obviously, uh, a situation for maybe a psychosexual therapist to either for him to go on his own for a bit or maybe go as a couple. See, it depends what the root of the problem is. You know, erectile dysfunction can happen for many reasons, but most of them are psychological. Um, I think it's just as well, like being always keeping in mind that like it's not any sexual issue. None of it is the end of the world. Like we are brainwashed and conditioned to think that sex, especially and again, this is very heteronormative, but that sex between someone with a penis, someone with a vagina 
involves penetration and that's how you have sex. Like that is one of probably hundreds of ways you can be intimate. Um, You know, generally I think sex therapists often recommend whether it's someone with erectile dysfunction or someone vaginismus or whatnot, like a penetration ban almost. They say, we're not even going to attempt it. Let's explore all the other things. Um, The erogenous zones, massage, toys, oral sex, you know, just really broadening your mind about sex in general and bringing that to your relationship. Um, And, you know, it takes a bit of work because, again, this is conditioned into us. But I think just empathy and listening and trying not to go away and create narratives of your own and filling in the blanks with your own narratives that aren't rooted in what he is telling you you know yeah. in and we're all like people are terrors for that I have do you know the I know there's many thought distortions but I have 10 of them on a sheet and they're taped up inside my wardrobe just for general use because oh I'm the biggest a catastrophizer ever like I I have to keep a you know I have to be like Grace calm down like <laughs> you can't tell the future and uh I've definitely done that myself, even as a sex educator, I've created narratives being like, oh, well, that's it now. He doesn't he doesn't like me anymore. You know, he's bored of me now and this kind of stuff. And usually your partner be like, oh, my God, no, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. So it's just yeah, I think it's working on your own stuff and then thinking about how you're going to communicate that and and just being really empathetic. Um, But yeah, and don't be afraid to go. I know it can be. Obviously, it's not an option for anyone. It can be expensive. It can be hard to access. But, you know, sex therapy, there's a big stigma around it. It's absolutely amazing. You don't have to be in a couple to go to it. You know, we've normalized going to therapy and counseling just for general mental health. We need to normalize going to it for sexual health. You know, it's such an important part of our lives. And it can be hugely transformational for people. Um, a lot of the um, questions that are all a lot of topics we've talked about are some of the questions that came in from okay. listeners and stuff. But one of them that came through from a guy um, is more on the relationship side of stuff, I suppose. And he just wanted to, uh, I'll read it out to you anyway. He said, mm. I've been out with a girl for over three years. We were in our young 20s. She spoke of traveling to the Middle East for work and I was farming at home. So it wasn't an option for me to head out there. Plus, I wanted to fool around for a while as a young fellow in his 20s needs to do. <laughs> we all know that. Uh, he said, anyways, we parted and she left. And she was there for a number of years. I always thought about her and kept in contact. I never could I settle with any other girl. And I think I still have a lot of other feelings for her. Only I'm scared shitless that I'll fuck up what relationship we have that they have now at the moment. And he was just wondering with you, he asked if he he was going to ask us a few times, but never had the nerve. And then when he heard you were coming on, he asked if uh, you could, you give your knowledge on this. And (laughs) I suppose that's the worry with a lot of people. If you are feeling that you're interested in a friend or an ex and you don't know Mm -hmm. what to do, because then you're going to ruin what you currently have. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to ruin it. Like, that's what I would say. I think that that's always the fear and it's very understandable. But like, what's the alternative? You know, like this guy was hung up on this woman. Is it for 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 years, basically, from from just the message you said there, like, mm. you know, unable to kind of form other relationships, always kind of thought maybe what if so if you've done that for you like what you know what do you have to lose by just um maybe trying to pursue it because otherwise you're just going to be like you're just going to subject yourself to years more of thinking what if um and I think you know 
I suppose it's just doing it respectfully and just being aware that, look, you might be rejected and rejection is shit and we all have to go through it. But I would just go into the situation very much where it could happen. Maybe this person doesn't feel the same. And that's that's that is OK. That's not a reflection on you. Um, and you're better off knowing like you 100 mm-hmm. percent are better off knowing. And I just always, you know, I'm always like, you just need to check in with yourself before you do that, because sometimes people will go off and kind of build up this big thing and proclaim their feelings for this person. And the person could react in any sort of way because they could be surprised or they could be, again, Mm -hmm. they have their whole world of stuff going on. And then say if the person is like, oh, no, like, I I don't feel that way, then um, you have this really angry reaction that ruins friendships yeah that will ruin the connection yeah whereas if you're really respectful and like look I'm not expecting anything out of this I just really want to say how I feel because I felt this way for a long time I will respect no matter what you say um and I value our friendship but this is how I feel about it and go from there like there's no real easy easy answer an easy way to do it but I think that kind of, for me, that sums up the most important points. Yeah. yeah. And don't expect an answer straight away because we exactly. had somebody else recently who, a girl who'd messaged a guy about how she felt a friend of hers and he didn't reply. And I said, you have to give people time because they may not be expecting yes. you to still have these feelings or whatever. So that would just be something else I would add. Don't expect her to turn around straight away and go, okay, let's go. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's start, get married. <laughs> exactly. And like something I talked about to a friend recently actually is, and I don't know whether this applied to this situation, but it might that like the person you had feelings for, I know you still have feelings for them, but the person you really had feelings for when you were actually with them or spending time with them might not be the same person years later. Yeah. So just be careful of veering into the fantasizing and romanticizing of the person um like again I don't know how long this person has been home from traveling how much you've gotten to reconnect with them because people change an awful lot Mm. they really do um so just being aware of that as well because I remember a friend of mine was like that and she's like oh yeah she's like actually I need to get to know this person all over again before I can actually solidly say I have feelings for them yeah you know Mm -hmm. yeah you're right, because traveling and living abroad and all that, that can really, really change a person. And like you said, he may, she may not be the exact girl that he's mm-hmm. like, like you say, like you're fantasizing about this old relationship, how you used to be. Mm-hmm. And even him himself is probably different as well. So yeah. oh yeah, you have to consider whether that's that you're, you know, as we know, we don't really know the full extent of their friendship or relationship now. But yeah, I would totally agree. You make sure that you you feel that you really still know that person. Yeah. Uh, that, that it would work even if you, because I couldn't think of anything worse than say him messaging her and her being like, yes, and they get into a relationship and he's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> not the person I thought. <laughs> That's not what I ordered. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Big Mac, what the hell, you know? Because <laughs> you know, you're dead right, because people do change and we don't know the gap of time between, I'm guessing he might be in his 30s now, early 20s. That's a big, you know, maturing time for a lot of people. So, yeah, no, you're dead right. Could They could be very different. So just make sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, just take your time be respectful, be open to that. It could go any way and um, just be careful. The rose tinted glasses as well, you know? Yeah. 
Now, somebody else asked us what you thought about holding out for sex and, you know, maybe what, like the way that they put it is that they don't feel like jumping into a sexual relationship. They don't think they're ready. And how do you express that with somebody as a partner and with someone that you first start dating? Like, is that a red flag for them straight away that you're not ready to be sleeping with somebody? Oh, I mean, it could be a red flag, but they're not the person for you then, you know, and that's okay um, because some people are very sexual and would would be looking for a certain, you know, um, sexual partner. And that's fine. Neither side of that is wrong at all. You know, Um, I don't think it would automatically be a red flag. I think people assume it is because I think um, and I don't want to be too gendered. But again, it kind of depends. Like sometimes um women would assume that men would be deterred by that and they'd want to have sex really quickly and um same as well with a lot of um friends I have that are gay men they would kind of assume that that would be uh, a kind of a deal breaker um but for the right person it shouldn't be um you know some people need more of an emotional connection and intimacy before being sexual and some people like that identify as demisexual so it's a completely valid thing um you could even use that word with an early partner because i think when we use language it makes it real sometimes it makes mm-hmm. it more solid you know not that it isn't real but it can be useful to have an actual word if that's what you identify with um and as regards how to communicate it, I find these questions sometimes really tricky because you're dealing with people you don't know. You don't know their communication styles. You don't know much about the context. So I can't give a clear cut, do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah. I would just say, honestly, just stay true to yourself. Like work on that kind of, because I'm sensing a little bit of that person maybe feeling like it's a bit of a burden or that like yeah. maybe th- they're projecting a little bit that, they're assuming again that it's a red flag it's not you're perfect as you are you know um and it's much more common than you would think I would say as well um yeah I feel like someone said it to them that it was a red flag or you shouldn't go into a relationship saying that and that's why they're now worried about saying that yeah okay yeah yeah well like again I suppose with um with entering into a a kind of more committed relationship yeah I would be really clear about that before you do that um before you enter the relationship just because again like both people deserve to kind of know where you Mm -hmm. stand with with stuff around sex and it can change that's fine um but yeah no I it absolutely isn't a red flag no to give you a short answer completely not absolutely not no um, it would be more of a red flag if you were telling me I'm not really ready to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway, because yes, um, yes, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, that's a red flag. Or if you'd you said it to the partner and they'd been like, what, why won't you have sex with me or whatever? I know, you know, negative reaction to it. Yeah, I know. It's always down to communication, isn't it, really? And um, like maybe the partner might feel rejected. But again, that's on them. That's yeah. their baggage to unpack. You know, it's not your mm-hmm. responsibility. If you're being respectful and clear, and I would like, I wouldn't beat around the bush. I'm kind of a big believer in kind of say what you mean, even beforehand, if you want to kind of think what language can I use instead of just waiting for the moment and blurting it out in kind of an emotionally charged yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's like talking about sex way outside of the context of having sex can be a great idea like you know again not waiting till you're 
in you know in a situation mm-hmm. where intimacy might or might not be on the cards um maybe yeah. just trying to even bring it up in a different way when you're kind of in a more um comfortable and relaxed setting yeah 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 Absolutely. Um, well, look, I think we we'll probably wrap it up there. Yeah. Because yeah. So I just realised the time. <laughs> so much of your time. Um, thank you so much, Grace. This was such like a great, amazing chat. I didn't know how Nicola was going to feel because she can't. No. She, I thought she'd be like, oh, God. But this is oh. brilliant. And this, just the way you put things, your terminology, you know, the positivity. I think this will be a really important episode of our podcast for you know our male and and female listeners and yeah I think that's what made me feel very comfortable the way you speak about it it doesn't feel like if I say something I'm going to be judged or if you know anything like that or also um the emotions behind it as well it's not kind of like a slagging sense if you say something that you know oh you're not into that I never felt like that so that what made me feel comfortable I, I know definitely our listeners will each take something from all of the stuff we've talked about that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. So thank you. Um, and I'm glad you felt that way because I just feel if you're working in the sexuality field, like, and if you're making someone feel uncomfortable or afraid <laughs> they'll be judged, you're in the wrong field. Like there just is not room for it. Um, and like, there's so much we talked about and there's so much we didn't get to talk about. So if you ever want to have me back again, I am ready and willing um and uh yeah and if anyone wants to find me my website is very simply gracealice.com um and you can find me on instagram i'm sure i'll probably be tagged anyway but it's um yeah la grace um which is irish it's g-n-e-a-s it means sex with grace but people thought my name was ganace then for like <laughs> week when i sent hey, it dear ganace they literally <laughs> were like hi ganace and i was like that's sex you're saying hi sex <laughs> Um, so my parents aren't that progressive, um, but yeah, it's Ganesh LaGrace. I'm probably gonna have to change it at some point because people are getting awful confused. Um, and uh, sorry, yeah, my website and yeah, no, just thank you so much. It's um, it was really comfortable for me as well to chat with you and bounce off you. And um, again, there's so much to talk about, but I hope I hope we hit on enough points that again it will help some people and. Remember, it's all about unlearning that shame. It really is. That's mm-hmm. what it usually all boils down to. So step by step, um, baby steps, you can do it. And if any of our listeners have any follow up questions, we will come back with Grace in a while down the line. And so send them in and of course, message Grace herself um, and she can help you right there on her own Instagram as well. But it's been so lovely. I really it's just a lovely afternoon and getting away from the rain to distract us for a while. <laughs> I know it is. And um, I actually I'm starting training to be a sex relationships coach in October. So maybe later down the line when I'm kind of, you know, at that level, because then I'll be mm-hmm. doing even more work uh one-on-one work and work with couples yeah. then maybe um we could have a different chat then yeah, but um that'd be amazing you've inspired me also to go do a winged liner now, <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking at it this whole time being like i, I know i love well, the winged liner, liner now try being me with no makeup on and both of you i'm like between roshin's eyebrows and your winged liner i feel like a homeless person <laughs> no you <laughs> look like great that. like your skin is literally like looks amazing um yeah um oh winged eyeliner can go one way or the other i know it, just, it went the good way so i'm thankful for that yeah well but yeah thank you, thank so, you much. so much and both of you enjoy your days out your saturday <laughs> nights out and um to our lovely listeners we'll be back again soon soon but um ah, 
Thanks a million, Grace. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.